electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When you see the market flying in the face of endless negative articles about inflation, about the Fed, Ukraine, prospective earnings shortfalls, the Dow gaining 754 points, the S&P surging 2.76%, and the Nasdaq pulling 3.11%, do you think the buyers haven't heard the bad news? You think they're in the dark about inflation or the Fed's rate hikes, the war in Ukraine? I feel like anyone who's paying attention got used to those stories months ago. In the same way Netflix could rally off a number tonight that we would have considered awful just six months ago. Yet every time I come out with just a little wee bit of optimism, I find myself roundly criticized for ignoring all sorts of obvious negatives that will cause the market to crash any day now. We're told the Federal Reserve waited too long to tighten. And now, of course, inflation, unstoppable. We're told the president's too weak to stop Russia. We're told China will drag down the whole global economy with its endless lockdowns. Hey, I don't even dispute that stuff. But there's only so much the market can go down on the same stories. At the end of the day, none of these worries to me are systemic like the financial crisis was. And none of them, none of them are new. It reminds me of when I used to scream at reporters when I started the street.com 25 years ago to stop serving the same warmed over negativity because it just wasn't helping anyone. Now, as I strolled through the canyons of Wall Street yesterday, deep in thought about how the market rolled over in the middle of our first show in the New York Stock Exchange on one story, the possibility, not definite, that Apple might be cutting back on hiring. I found myself thinking about other times when the market rolled over only to rally a few days later when I worked downtown in the old days. How about April 26, 1986? You remember that one? That was when nuclear reactor number four at Chernobyl blew itself to kingdom come. 
Oh, we were all paralyzed right down the block at the old Goldman headquarters, 85 Broad. We talked about selling all sorts of stocks because of the radioactive cloud that had killed hundreds, maybe thousands, according to the incredibly inaccurate New York Post. Some wanted to sell the stock at McDonald's as we figured the European restaurants would be closed for a long time. Others urged me to find a play on milk, which would be destroyed by windblown isotopes. Finally, there were people who just wanted to sell everything because the market would certainly crash once we realized how bad the disaster was. But you know what? If you go back and look at the 40-year chart of the S&P 500, I defy you to even find the Chernobyl sell-off. You had, you had to. How about the nuclear fallout? Because it never got here. Frankly, it did get to Sweden. Fast forward to the crash of 1987, a year and a half later. Well, now we're starting to talk about something you think would be bad, right? I mean, I had the good fortune of being totally in cash for that incredible financial meltdown, October 19th, Black Monday, a crushing 22.6% decline. One day, hedge funds closed, brokers shut, billions lost, end of the world. Except it wasn't. In fact, most people don't even remember why we crashed. It was something what, it was about like a strong dollar ruining world trade. Oh, hey, watch out. We got that now. Within a year, we made back all of our losses and then some. Black Monday and the day after were actually tremendous buying opportunities. Now, my critics back then would still be parked in 40-year CDs. Yeah, that's exactly where they would buy them. All right, I'll get the hang of this thing. There we go. How about Friday the 13th of October 1989? Oh, Friday the 13th, that alone is terrible, right? A legendary mini crash, 1989, a collapse of 6.9% in a couple of blinks of an eye. Why did that happen? Oh, so serious. Such a terrible thing. A failed leverage buyout of none other than United Airlines. Why the heck did that even matter? In retrospect, it obviously didn't. What did you have to do? You couldn't even wait. You should have bought it. In the, in the before market trading of that very Monday morning. Now, all of these things occurred when I was working downtown on Wall Street in the 80s. And I can only imagine how I would have been eaten alive on social media. If it existed back then, I can just see the scathing, dripping cynicism about how crazy anyone would have to be to recommend stocks while nuclear fallout looms. A literal cloud of death coming our way over the Atlantic. How could I think anything positive after Black Monday? How about a failed LBO? Heavens to Betsy. But with the hindsight, the benefit of hindsight, my biggest mistake in each case was that I wasn't bullish enough. Especially after the crash of 87, I stayed in cash way too long. I figured there had to be more to it, right? The market couldn't possibly go down 22% with no reason. Wrong. It went down 22% with no reason. And that's why we came back with such a vengeance. These are just tales of the 80s. When I worked down the block from here, forget the horrors of the last 20 years, S&P downgrade of U.S. debt, September of 2011. Ooh, crushing. Remember the Cypress? The Cypress canary in the coal mine? Hey, how about the way everyone always says canary in the coal mine? What the heck is that about? Like we're in like some sort of mining business. Pending collapse of Monte Dupasky, the oldest bank on earth during the European debt crisis. Hey, I got a checking account there. Still fine. Or a slew of domestic bank failures during the Great Recession. Can't help you there. 
When I was looking over my Twitter mentions last night, because I was just genuinely basking in the glow of this great place. Can we even get a like, shot up there? Look how cool it is. This is a, see, I got a handheld guy now. It's really cool. Cool outfit there. Um, Admits the, the genuinely kind of constructive comments. And we had a lot of kind of constructive comments. I mean, well, there were so many snide, belligerent, moronic attacks that after a while, you know, didn't get to me because I'm Philadelphian. But I read them. Here's like a typical one. Who the heck is Jim Cramer to recommend stocks in this market? We didn't have Twitter in the 80s, but I had plenty of critics back then when I wrote articles about the market. I don't know. It seems like yesterday was a good time to be bullish, at least after today. Yet some bozo said to me, honestly, I wrote to me, he he said um, he wanted to know where my license was to talk about stocks. Like it was like a fishing license. Well, here it is. Yet this time there's a whole group of critics online. People would rather be wrong and angry than right and lucrative. They should be some kind of a stand-in for a Wall Street or a stooge for late-stage capitalism, tool of the hedge fund elite. Like, I even talk to those guys. But at the end of the day, I only represent myself. I'm trying to teach people how to approach markets using everything I've learned for more than 40 years in the business, including what I learned just down the block on a day when we were supposed to sell McDonald's because of... Chernobyl. Yeah, that's my only agenda. And as a grizzled veteran, and I wasn't then, but I am now, I can tell you that the level of negativity about stocks at this moment is the highest it's been in years and years and years. Now, some of that's correct because the market's gotten real ugly at times, but it's also because there's a new class of investors who buy stocks not based on fundamentals, but based on anger, like they're trying to win some sort of argument. That's the wrong approach. These people would rather stick to their guns than try to make money. And that never ends well. Many of the haters seem to like only a handful of stocks, mostly money-losing companies that went out of style months ago. Or they're sticking with crypto and all the crypto that went down. They don't understand that changing your mind is a virtue in this business. Of course, I'm here to teach everyone, including my most unconstructive critics. It's why I started the Investing Club. It's why I give, I give you a 10.20 a.m. editorial meeting every morning for club members. I know uh, that many people have lost their shirts because of this market, and I can't blame them for wanting to take it out on me. I'll do my best to put that shirt back on if you watch the 10.20 show. It's gaining traction by the day, frankly. Now, I recognize there's no way to do this job without building up an ardent anti-fan base of highly motivated critics. There's always going to be an army of people eager to say anything Kramer tells you, take the other side of the trade. By the way, now you're on the other side of a a plus 754 uh, rally in the Dow. Good luck with that. But even if you think I'm an idiot or a fraud or a charlatan, make no mistake. If you want to bet against me in this market, you should understand what side I'm on. I'm on the side of progress. See, I bought stocks down the block when the Dow was at 1,000. I bought them down the block when it was at 2,000. I bought them down the block when it was at 3,000. And now I'm up the block, and it's 31,827. I think they're still worth buying. What makes me so confident? Simple. I know it's just a matter of time before the millions of people who started investing via, say, the uh, brokers that were really just apps masquerading as brokerage houses, We'll either be blown out or lose interest, like all the people who bailed yesterday when we learned about the Apple hiring slowdown, the ultimate dog bites man story. Once they capitulate, that's how market bottoms. You know what? Maybe it's already happened. Maybe after today's pacing, 
They're all gone. But if I can do only one thing in this tough environment that makes a real difference, I hope I can separate the smart, younger investors from the Charlottes and Mountbanks who think the whole game, the whole market, is just about two stocks, GameStop and AMC. To the latter group, all I can say is go buy a video game. Go, go out to the movies. But shut the heck up. Here's the bottom line. I want you to make money, not lose money, even if you hate me. But for the majority of my haters, all I can say is it's not too late to take the other side of the trade, even after today's terrific run. Let's go to Susan in New York. Susan. Hi, Jim. Congratulations on the new set. Thank you, Susan. Um, What's going on? I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, always overwhelmed by the breadth of your knowledge. So oh, I was you. wondering about a very old standard. Once upon a time, this was a cornerstone of every diversified portfolio. What are your thoughts about General Electric these days? Okay, I think GE is a work in progress. I'm not that crazy about one of the divisions, which is an energy wind business. Uh, I think that a much better buy, frankly, if you want aerospace, is Honeywell, H-O-N, which my trust owns. Okay, look, I want you to make money, not lose money, no matter your opinion of me. Hey, old man money tonight. Halbert reported a strong quarter this morning, sending the stock higher. But then it leveled off. I'm joining you off this. I got to find out what the heck happened here. I think it's a buy. Then the averages rebounded nicely today. So is this the runway the bulls have been waiting for? I'm going off the charts with someone who was really right about this rally. Yeah, we're going back to the well of Larry Williams. And IBM reported a top and bottom line beat for the first quarter. But the stock got crushed. Let's find out if that's what should have happened when we talk to the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. 
with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As the price of oil has come down over the past six weeks, the formerly red-hot oil service stocks have been pulverized, kind of crazy. I don't think these pullbacks are justified. Take Halliburton, long my favorite, the North American-focused oil service company, where the stock has come down from $44 in its peaches last month to $29 and change today. The thing is, the fundamentals of the business haven't really changed. At the end of the day, the difference between $104 oil and $124 oil just isn't that great for this industry. Sure enough, this morning, Halliburton reported an excellent set of numbers with management talking about a multi-year energy upcycle. Yet the stock only finished the day up about 2%. Opportunity. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Jeff Miller. He's the chairman and CEO of Halliburton to get a better read on the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Miller, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. It's well, great to see you. Thank you. for Thank you. This is great. And the new set's fantastic. Ah, you're a good man. <laughs> thank you. Okay, so this was an amazing conference call. And uh, there's so many highlights, but let's start with this. Early innings of a multi-year cycle, in part because we just stopped drilling. Yes. I mean, investments down by half for almost eight years internationally. And and you just have to drill. So it's going to be multi-years of recovery. I mean, of, of activity for us. And for I, what I was surprised, I thought that maybe it's just the United States. The Middle East hasn't spent. I learned that from your conference call. Middle East needs to spend more money. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's a fantastic opportunity as we look forward. Okay, so let's talk about how some of this has to be technologically driven. You are inventing new things. How do you drill 50000 That's like like Jules Verne. It's fantastic technology. And so we do a lot with drilling technology. It's it's I think about it like a space almost. I mean, we drill 50,000 feet and put the bit in a five gallon bucket. I mean, that's what's involved in drilling these kinds of wells. So great technology. And we've done a lot to advance our drilling technology at Halliburton just over the last five years. Okay, do you really need $100 or would you want to do that even at $80 barrel? Absolutely. Yeah, this this is a great business. Yeah. Now, one of the things that you talk about better than anyone uh, is the notion of the actual inventions that you've made. I mentioned to you before, the, cog- the Cognitus automated cement plate. Because, and the reason I want you to talk about this is it's not one size fits all. There's, there's not Halliburton and then all the rest of them are the same. You guys have proprietary technology. As, yes, we do. In fact, Cognitus is the... Uh, Automated cement unit, it brings down cost, it drives better solutions, it allows us to work remotely. This idea of automation is, is changing the game in, right. in oil field services. Uh, but just to point out, you know, Halliburton is number one in our sector in patent grants. We've right. been that for the last four years. Well, is that why perhaps we, when we think about the Permian, 
there turned out to be so much more oil there than we ever thought. (laughs) Right? I mean, even in the 40s, we didn't know it had this. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Frack and uh, directional drilling and hydraulic fracturing, two things we do a lot of. And um, incredible what technology, never bet against technology in this industry. Now, there was a moment in the conference call where you talked about how this is a margin cycle, it, it not necessarily a, a build cycle. Yeah. But what you, you were not trying to say that there's not going to be more building. You're just saying that you're going to make more money even though you're sold out. Absolutely. That is uh, maximize value North America, grow profitably internationally. Those are our two. That's our strategy. That's what we're executing on. And uh, you know, this industry, our business, we want to improve returns of free cash flow, and we see margins improving, and that's critical. That creates all the optionality to return cash to shareholders and pay down debt and do all the things that we want to do. Well, you also make, uh, you also pointed out that you can't just keep depleting the strategic petroleum reserve and depleting our wells. It doesn't like they just put more oil in them and then you keep taking oil out. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. This is a long-term game, and and the fact is. Um, you know, the types of wells that are being worked on, they're going to drill a lot of well bores over the next several years. And it's going to be the kind of thing that Halliburton does. I mean, it's going to be drilling wells, completing wells, all of that, as opposed to there'll be more well money spent drilling wells and building infrastructure right. over the next. But Halliburton's yeah. never, and I've known your company for years, you never hype. It's not like you're saying, listen, oil's going to 200, so you oh, better no. start drilling right now. That's not your style. No, not at all. I mean, we are steady executors. We love execution at Halliburton. We set out a strategy. We execute on it and we see the ability to expand margins and grow the business right where we are today. All right, let me posit something. A lot of people might say, well, we want you to buy back stock. I think that you've got such a book of business. I want you to buy more, tech, more technology, which is the right way to go. Technology. Right? Always technology, Jeff. Just keep taking share. Yeah, keep building. Building technology. Innovation, technology, that's the key to winning in this business. And can the United States continue to be the biggest, biggest producer with Halliburton technology? Absolutely. No question about it. Wow, because I got to tell you, to me, that's why this is such an amazing story. It is a huge position for my travel trust. And all I can tell you, sir, is when I listen to you, I just want to buy more for it. Thank you so much. That's Jeff Jeff. Miller. He's Halliburton's chairman, president, and CEO with a story, how, that I think is probably one of the best in the entire market. And money's back in for the break. Coming up, are the worried faces on the trading floor merely masking bullish days ahead? Kramer lets the charts do the talking. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now... It's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What do we make of this suddenly buoyant market? Look, I know it's tune out the constant drumbeat of negativity. But that might be precisely the reason why stocks can bottom. In fact, there's a good chance maybe they already bottom. But before you dismiss me as some sort of wide-eyed optimist who doesn't know what he's talking about, let me be very clear. I'm not the one calling a bottom here. Wouldn't surprise me, though, if a bottom has arrived. That said, in turbulent markets, I'm always warning you to take your emotions out of the equation. You simply can't trust your gut in moments of extreme fear or extreme euphoria. That's why so many people missed the peak last November, even though the Federal Reserve more or less declared war on high stock prices. I mean, Jay Powell practically sent you an engraved invitation to a bear market. In recent weeks, though, I've been wondering if maybe we've gone too far in the other direction. Don't get me wrong, stocks deserve to get hammered over the last eight months. But even when the Fed's tightening and there's a destabilizing war in Eastern Europe and the second largest economy in the world, China, keeps shutting down, major closing major cities, you got to remember that stocks do get cheaper as they go lower, as opposed to maybe crypto or maybe call options. Sooner or later, all the bad news is baked into the market, and everybody who is going to sell is already sold. And that is the moment when stocks bottom. Not when we start getting on prey to good news, but when we've gotten so used to negativity that it just doesn't move the needle anymore. That's the point at the top of the show. So we got to ask, has that happened already? Tonight, we're going off the charts with the help of Larry Williams. Yes, the legendary technician slash market historian who's been doing this thing before I could even drive, and I drove plenty early. Now, Larry's written more than a dozen books, and he's created a host of his own proprietary indicators, all of which you can find on his website, IReallyTrade.com. More importantly, got a tremendous track record. Now, I've talked about the fact that he's been calling bottoms where practically everyone else has thrown in the towel. I mean, for instance, the classic one way back in April 2020, we said he thought that's and we all thought the sky was falling from COVID. We thought it could cause a depression. Williams predicted the economy quickly rebound, allowing stocks to come roaring back. And that is exactly what happened. Now, a week ago, Larry told us it was time to go all in, time to get bullish again. Anticipation of a rally that could last through late August. He figured that we were due for at least an intermediate term bottom because the hedge fund complex had simply gotten too negative. At the same time, he pointed to the futures market data that showed commercial hedgers had gotten increasingly positive. Now, historically, this is important. When commercial hedgers and hedge funds are betting on opposite sides of the trade, you want to stick with the commercials who were bullish. After that, we got one last leg lower, which he wanted you to buy into. Good call. And the market quickly started roaring last Friday. Well, that rally got interrupted yesterday, which he still wanted you to buy, but that was because everybody was freaked out about some chatter that Apple plans to slow down its hiring. We got back on track today with that monster 754-point Dow rally. And as William sees it, it might just be at the beginning. Why? First, take a look at this weekly chart of the S&P futures going back to late 2018. Remember how I said Larry's got all sorts of homebrewed metrics? The line at the bottom is his proprietary Williams panic indicator. This thing is exactly what it sounds like. Why do we care about panic? 
because markets don't bottom until investors capitulate. And the Williams Panic Indicator does a pretty darn good job of showing you when people are throwing in the towel. When you get this kind of mass selling, the Williams Panic Indicator will throw off a buy signal. And historically, that's been a very good time to pull the trigger. Remember, I always say panic is not a strategy, but maybe it's a buy strategy. The panic indicator told you to buy in late 2018, right as the market bottomed in the wake of the Fed's overzealous rate hikes. Also told you to buy in March of 2020, when all sorts of institutional money managers were still terrified of the entire asset class. Wow, what a tremendous entry that was, right? Most importantly, the Williams panic indicator flashed a buy signal a month ago, June 17th. This is something that's only happened 18 times in the last 90 years. 18 times. And almost every time you had to pounce. I like those odds. So we've got capitulation. But capitulation alone isn't enough. You also need something that can turn things around. And right now, Williams thinks we've got time on our side. Specifically, he says we've got a fabulous historical pattern of time on our side. Check out the daily chart of the Dow Industrial Average. Okay, so far you're with me. The blue line in the bottom shows how the Dow's average performance in years that end in two. So 2012, 2002, 1992, and so on, going all the way back to 1922. Now, this is what technicians actually call the decennial pattern. The blue line shows you the path the Dow took in in years that ended in two. And historically, those years started off weak before finishing very strong. Sound familiar? Now, you may think it is crazy to work something like this into your investing calculus. I mean, honestly, who cares if it's a year that ends in two? I mean, does 2022 really have anything else in common with 2012 or 2002 or 1992 to say nothing of 1920-22? To which I'd say, well, you're absolutely right. There is no logical reason why this decennial pattern should be a good way to predict the the trajectory of the stock market. However, in the past, it's had a surprising amount of predictive power for whatever reason. Maybe it's something we can't grasp. If you still don't buy this, think of it like this. We know that there are a ton of chart-driven traders who care about this stuff, even if you don't. And now they've got one more reason to be bullish, and they will take action even if you think they shouldn't. Speaking of extremely long-term patterns, Williams points out there's also a 20-year cycle going all the way back to 1880. We've been through this cycle six times before. And at this point in each of those cycles, we got a bull market. If the 20-year cycle holds, Williams says we could have a nice run over the next few years. So take a look at the the Dow in the early to mid-1940s. You got a terrific rally from late 1942 through early 1946. But maybe that's a bad example. Extraordinary times. What about the next iteration of the cycle in the early to mid-1960s? Same thing. A powerful run from mid-1962 through 1966. And I could go on. We got the same trajectory in the early to mid-80s. And then, again, 20-odd years ago. Is there any reason why this 20-year pattern should repeat itself again? Look, I'm not, I'm not omniscient. But Larry points out that you're five for five if you bet on this cycle after the initial run in the, in the 1880s. Here's the bottom line. The charts as interpreted by the legendary Larry Williams suggest that Wall Street has finally thrown in the towel and some powerful seasonal patterns are finally on the side of the bulls. I wouldn't be surprised if he's right again 
meaning perhaps the bottom really is in. Joe in North Carolina. Joe. Hey, Jim. Big Booyah from Wilmington, North Carolina. How are you? Well, I'm good. Thank you for calling in, Joe. What's going on? Well, thank you. Huge congrats on your new digs at the NYSE. Uh, it was great to see your wife and you yesterday during the opening day. Oh, thank you. My, you're very kind. You're meant to be together, you can tell. So uh, <laughs> you. you're very blessed. Uh, question about Square, now known as Block. You talked about it a couple weeks ago. Recent analysts have, have cut price targets. Um, like you, I don't believe in a doomsday scenario, but I think we are heading to recession. So Cash App has exposure there, but also the company's exposure to Bitcoin. I think there's a better entry point. Um, I know it had a little bit of a run with this recent rally. I missed it, but I'm looking long term. But I think there's better opportunities. What do you think? Well, look, I think that the actual this market's headed up a little bit and stocks like Square, which are very overvalued on earnings, are going to do okay. Um, But you know what? There's so many other stocks that are doing well. uh, And I think you're right. The Square has issues in recession. So I'd be careful. I'd be careful about this one. How about Thomas, my home state of New Jersey? Thomas. Hi, Jim. How are you? Booyah. Hi. Booyah. What's going on? Well, Jim, my question is about the stock Peloton. I heard that the stock went all the way to $30, in fact, about 31 and gone down to 9 I want to know what's the future. Well, this is a tough one. I happen to like Barry McCarthy, the CEO, very, very much. But at the same time, let's wait till the stock bottoms before we take a shot at it. Because it is a shot, believe me. Tonight's chartist, Larry Williams, suggests that Wall Street has finally thrown in the towel and some very powerful seasonal patterns are finally on the side of the bulls, not the bears. Much more ahead, including my exclusive with IBM, sinking after earnings. Does Big Blue have big plans to combat the bears? I'm checking in with the top brass. Then I believe in this market, but there is one frustrating aspect that I find absolutely undying. And I'll reveal what it is. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. What do we make of the stock of the post-breakup IBM here? Until today, this is one of the few tech stocks that was up for the year. I mean, you can count them on one hand. But last night, IBM reported what some people thought was a mixed quarter with good, albeit imperfect, guidance. And the stock got clobbered today. It's down more than 5%. Now, I think this was a solid quarter, and there was a lot of nitpicking. And that's to do with the wind down of the company's Russian business, maybe some currency fluctuations, also a spinoff. Look, at these levels, here's what I know. IBM now sells for less than 14 times earnings with a solid 5% dividend yield. So could this be a buying opportunity? Or is there something we need to be worried about longer term? Let's take a closer look with Dr. Arvind Krishna. He is the chairman and CEO of International Business Machines to learn more about the quarter and where his company said. Dr. Krishna, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, pleasure to be here with you, and what a wonderful set. Oh, you're very kind. Thank <laughs> you. I'm so glad you're among the first people to be here. I want to cut right to the chase. I have been telling you over and over again, you give me that solid revenue growth, solid earnings, then I am on board with IBM. You far exceeded that. So perhaps maybe someone's changing the goalposts here? Look, I think that it's a dynamic market. I think we'll all agree with that. Lots going on. Interest rates, inflation, labor demographics, wars. But we printed 9% revenue growth, 16% at constant currency, but 9% at actual rates. We printed 231 in EPS in the quarter, 2.1 billion in free cash flow. And we said, we pointed to 10 billion of free cash flow for the year, which is three and a half billion more than last year. Right. So I think these are all great numbers, and the market should reward us going forward. 
But these are great spaces we are in. We are very happy with the demand signals we are seeing, by the way, all around the globe. Right. And so all of that, I think, is really good. I know the on the call, there was this kind of unruly group of people who seemed to think that the dollar somehow shouldn't impact you. You are a great worldwide business. What you said in 170 countries, <laughs> it is hard to avoid a currency that was that was not weak versus the dollar. Well, we all know the dollars at a 20 year high or a 25 year high, depending on the country you look at, including somewhere we do a lot of business. You can look at Western Europe. You can look at the United Kingdom. You can look at Japan. These are all countries that we love to be in. We're going to continue to be in. But we have revenue in local currency. We have some expenses in local currency. But a lot of the products we make are coming to the United States. Right. So then there we suffer a, a profit issue. By the way, I think it's a short-term issue. I don't think the dollar is going to strengthen more. So it's a, it's a one-year no, issue. I actually issue. can peak, you know, when things have sides be. I think you can. Now, there's a moment in your call. A lot of companies backed out and got out of Russia. And almost all of them, they weren't making any money. You were actually making, you gave up real profits when you left Russia, didn't you? Absolutely. We were making $300 million in revenue. We were making over $200 million in free cash and profit. And so that's a hit for the year. Yeah, so, I mean, so you give it up and people act as if, well, just like everybody else who's been losing money in Russia for years. And we're looking for a reason to get out of there. It was a good business for you. It was a very good business. We were not looking to get out, but we follow we the sanctions the right and we follow what we believe is the ethical thing to do. Now, I want to read uh, some people were concerned about kin- the Kindrel spin, which you and I talk about quite a bit. Uh, UBS said, unless David Vogt, don't know him personally, says, as IBM laps the Kindrel bump in a little over three months, we expect Q4 uh, reported growth to decline 4% year over year. That seems he expects that. Do you expect that? No. So we have been very clear. Our model is that at constant currency, we're going to do mid-single-digit growth, so right. 4 to 6%. That is without Kindrel. Let me just be clear. Right. And so Kindrel gave an extra bump up in the beginning right. of this year. And we know November 1, that goes away because you wrap on right. one year worth of uh, growth from a new entity. So we are still absolutely still on our model. We are sticking to our plan. We'll be mid-single-digit growth without Kindrel. And now another point I want to make, you brought it up, the cash flow. You said it's going to be between 10 and 10 and a half billion. So you do 10, you think you can do 10. Somehow that was regarded as if you're going to do eight or seven. I mean, honestly, the call Arvin was one where people seem to be looking, what I said nitpicking, for things that would go wrong with one of the best performing stocks in their sector. It's almost as if they wanted to buy the stocks that are down a lot and dump on the stocks that are of the companies that are doing well. Look, so 10 is very much in our range of 10 to 10.5, but it's also three and a half billion more than 2021. Right. We printed 6.5 last year. Even if you take a pro forma to adjust for Kindrel, that would have been in the high seven. So it's still 2.1 billion above what we would have done last year as a pro forma. Those are great numbers. If you can Absolutely. increase 2 billion in cash flow in a year. Well, then others said that great... they felt that Red Hat had started slowing down. I thought Red Hat's doing fine. We had said our model is upper teens. We right. printed 17%. And so we believe that we're going to continue to do upper teens in Red Hat. All right, now let's talk about the world growth. Uh, there are many things going wrong. Many things. But you are pretty steadfast in that you're, that IBM has the products and the team, particularly the consulting team, to be able to handle what, what's thrown at you. This would be the market where I think is a true test of IBM strength. You're confident. I'm absolutely confident. We're going to stick to our mid-single-digit model. We're going to increase cash flow year over year. What more could one want? And it's because you have the products, the people. What, the, what gives you confidence where so few have it right now? Three things. So the issues that are all our clients face, and this is everywhere in the globe, 
interest rates, inflation, labor demographics, supply chain resilience. In the face of all that, technology is a competitive advantage. It's not just a cost. Right. One. Two, the only way to handle all of these issues is with automation and artificial intelligence in the back office, in the enterprise processes. So then they lean on us to help them through these issues. Right, well, That's then, why I'm confident. Right, well, that's great. There's an app that I love, but I don't know if it fits anywhere. Does weather still fit within the pastiche of IBM? Absolutely. Weather right. teaches us a lot of things. Okay. Look, we do, I'll give you one great example. So we recently brought out advertising that we learned from weather that is unbiased for bias towards the target audience. And that is Watson Advertising that we learned it on weather and then we bring it to the rest of our clients. So weather is a great way for us to learn how many things would we have otherwise where you interact with a billion people a day. The weather app does that. And so then we learn from there and take all those technologies to all our clients. Good, don't get rid of it. It's absolutely everybody's morning, first morning thing. <laughs> yeah. It's the first thing we look at. That's Arvind Krishna, he's the chairman and CEO of IBM. You heard him. They are doing all the revenue growth that I asked for. I cannot turn around and say, why don't you do more revenue growth? Because it's exactly what they did and more. Man Money's back after the break. Coming up, what's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. And then the lightning round's over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time the lightning round because it was over. Steve in Connecticut. Steve. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, my stock is Tellurian. I am with Tellurian. I like natural gas, and I love Sharif Suki, who's the chairman. Let's go to Wayne in Florida. Wayne. Jim, Margate, Florida. Altria Love Group, it. holding it for 20 years. Buy, sell, and, or hold. Loving well, you know, I don't recommend it to back the stocks. I do think it's a very good company, but it's not for me. Let's go to Michael in Texas. Michael. Hey, Jim. You are the most entertaining source of reliable information Thank on you. the topic. Thank you very much. Listen, listen, I've been in the market 40 years. I'm a member of 15 different exchanges, making markets and derivatives, starting with Rick Santelli and the Chicago Board trade in the 30-year bond auction pit. After Ukraine, the world needs food more than ever, and farmers need mosaic products. Why is this stock languishing in the 40s? Because people feel that once you add that additional fertilizer plant, the price just cascades, which is why I am saying that if you want to be in that group, you should be in deer, because that's been able to come back regardless of the cycle of fertilizer. Let's go to Patrick in Massachusetts. Patrick. Hey, Jimmy. You hey, uh, still like Novacure. Yes, I do. I know it's come down a lot, but a lot of the speculative bed techs have come down. It's the it's still the best thing for experimental uh, and sad brain cancer, uh, and, and I think it's going to be the standard for a long time. Let's go to Brian, Pennsylvania. Brian. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I just want of to course. see real quick. I love the new set. It looks really nice. Thank you. Yeah, it's a good it's a good look. Thank you very much. Yeah. Hey, um, Jim, back in the spring, Archer Daniels Midland was trading in the mid-80s, and now it's in the low to mid-70s. Should I hold, accumulate, or look elsewhere? What do you think? I think that the food cycle, uh, which has been everybody's just greatest thing in the world, is to me actually uh, possibly peaking. So I don't want to be in Archer Daniels Midland. Let's go to John in Texas. John. Booyah. Only wrestling's current TV ratings being, for lack of a better term, better than the current state of WWE, 
would now be a good time to sell WWE stock or hope that I like that call. Hey, let's go to Tyler in California. Tyler. Booyah, Jim. How you doing? Booyah. Doing well. How about you? I am doing good. Thank you for asking. Hey, I wanted to ask you on um, Patterson uh, UTI Energy, uh, ticker P10. Very good company, but I have to tell you, I do prefer Halliburton, which is owned by my Chapel Trust, which we talk about a lot when we are in the CNBC Investing Club morning meeting. How about we go to Craig in California? Craig. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Wanted to get... Wanted to get your thoughts on uh, State Street and their latest earnings report. State Street's just okay. It does not, it's not levered to the rising Fed funds rate. And therefore, I think that what happens is you've got to be involved with a Wells Fargo. Much better. How about Stan in Texas? Stan. Hi, Jim Booyah from Houston, Booyah. Texas, Rocket City. I have a, a I like company that. that's uh, in researching drugs. They have $300 million in cash. Uh, their focus is gene therapy. The company is Rocket Pharma. Okay, now the way I feel about Rocket Pharma is that it's incredibly speculative, and I am deeply concerned that in this particular market, these companies need to raise money because they're losing a lot of money, so I have to tell you to take a pass order. Richard in Florida. Richard. Richard. How are you doing? Doing well. How about you, Richard? Hey, I'm talking about uh, MP Materials. Okay, I spoke I with uh, I spoke with Mary Barr last week about MP Materials, and they make special material. They make the materials that you need in order to have a part, not the electric battery part, but good stuff. And I think it's definitely a buy right here. I think it makes a lot of sense. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Yes, I believe in this beaten down market. Yes, I think its coloration has started to change. But the hatred toward the market, as measured by myriad sentiment indicators, is endless. And it's not going to go away anytime soon, even if we get more days like today. Let me give you a theory I've been working on. For as long as I've been in this business, and remember, I started down the road 40 years ago, I've always thought that we have a market of stocks, not a stock market. I've always treasured individual companies, and I still think that if you have the time and the inclination You have the ability to beat the market as a whole by picking individual stocks. Got to do the homework, though. But this sure doesn't behave. uh, This this market uh, doesn't behave like a market of stocks. Years ago, it became a market of Apple, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, and recently a few of others like Tesla and Nvidia, which at one point, by the way, had more than an eight hundred billion dollar valuation. Unfortunately, these former leaders have now become the Achilles heel of this market. Why? Because we believe they were secular growers that didn't need a strong economy in order to thrive. But it turns out that they're much more hostage to global GDP growth than anyone thought. And that's been my line on these stocks ever since we trimmed our positions in them for my charitable trust. I told investing club members that the Fed's rate hikes would create demand problems for everybody, including Fang and friends. That means something for each one of these stocks. Let's just go down. Apple. The price point of a phone is high and China's shutdown has hurt sales immensely. Amazon. Spent too much money in warehouses and the workers who filled them. Now they have to retrench as the world goes back to normal post-COVID. Google. Now Alphabet. Way too dependent on advertising, which is cyclical. Microsoft. Too levered to a slowing enterprise. Facebook's crippled by Apple's new privacy rules that make it harder to do targeted ads and lack any meaningful source of growth other than the metaverse, which could be Chimera. NVIDIA, too linked to gaming and cryptocurrency mining. I get the obsession with these stocks. I used to like like them more than anybody. But the environment has changed. 
Fang and friends have gone out of style in the Wall Street fashion show. I never thought I'd say that. They're much less relevant now than they've been in ages. Yet it feels like their accolades control the entire discourse, doesn't it? Look, I do all this work on Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and Citigroup, yet it means nothing, nothing to people. Same with the possibility that some semiconductor names can have a real run because some of them still have genuine secular growth aspects, but nobody cares. I'm begging you to consider that maybe Fang and friends will no longer control the whole market. Even if you like them, and let me be clear, I still do because Chapel Trust does have smaller positions in there. Uh, even if you like them, you got to stop thinking that that's all there is. Think about yesterday when Apple's rumors brought down the whole tape. This is crazy. That piece of Apple's news about a slowdown in hiring created buying opportunities all over the place, especially after today. But if you're just looking at the market as nothing but buying and friends because they used to be the market leaders, you're going to miss out on every single one of these major opportunities. Yes, Apple's important. Yes, it's 32 bucks below its all-time high set in January. Yes, it could hurt the market if it misses its quarter. But I genuinely believe that these Fang and Friends stocks can no longer be considered the only true bellwethers. There are hundreds of other stocks you can buy when Apple goes down or Alphabet or Microsoft or Meta platforms. Stop thinking so small. Think big. The market has changed and changed for the better with more opportunities, but they're no longer the obvious ones. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.